0: Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, if you remember, if you recall, last time we read about Saul, post-conversion was confounding the Jews and he was, quote, proving that Jesus was the Christ. And they plotted to kill him. We, saw, we talked about that. Seeing that they cannot defeat this message, they resort to violence. And God providentially revealed that plan to Saul. And Saul's disciples helped him to escape, if you remember. And because we discussed this, Paul has a lot more to do. Now is not the time for him to be killed. He's not a coward. He's not a coward, but it's not the right time for him to be killed. And then we read about his travels to Jerusalem that that took place, what we learn in Galatians, about three years later. And the Christians were afraid of him at first. He was a fierce prosecutor, or persecutor. Excuse me, of the church. Right? We were told that he entered house after house after house, dragged them off in chains. And so, when he appears in Jerusalem, the brothers, the brethren there, are afraid of him, and they're not sure. They're thinking, "I don't think so," you know. Saul's in town, he's a Christian now. Mm, I don't think so. No, we're not going to have fellowship with this guy. And Barnabas, we are told, confirmed his faith. Barnabas vouched for him. He really is a brother. He has been preaching. And the Bible says that he found a good ministry while he was in Jerusalem. He preached boldly in the name of the Lord. And while there, again, debates boldly, fiercely with the Jews there and disputes with them. And again, they cannot defeat the truth of the gospel. And they again resort to plans to attack his body. And again, we are told that fellow Christians help him to escape and move on to the next mission field, which was at his home of Tarsus. And I, we discussed this at the beginning of this study. There's a repetitive pattern that happens throughout Acts. It happens a lot. The gospel is preached that there is success, but also resistors at, who then plot to kill them, and then they move to a different town. They preach there's some success, resistance. Verse 31 of chapter 9, we are told that the church throughout the area... Was at peace. Likely hundreds of small gatherings, walking in the fear of the Lord and obedience to Him, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church was growing and multiplying. And then, verse 32, we read about a paralyzed man who had been eight years bedridden. Peter heals him. Miraculously, because of the miracles, many believe And the gospel advances. We read in verse 36, a certain Tabitha who had deceased. Many people were upset. Peter goes there and raises her from the dead by the power of God. This news of the healing of one who had been dead spread throughout the area. Verse 42, it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. <clears throat> that brings us to today's. God willing, we're going we're gonna to go through the whole chapter. It's, it's a little lengthy, but I think it goes quickly. Verse 1, chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he Stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending down, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals, and reptiles, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, "'What God has made clean, do not call common.' This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven." Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason of your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. This is Peter invited them in. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why you sent for me? Verse 30, Cornelius said... Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ... He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, especially as we look at this text today, we pray that you would speak to us that we would believe as they've believed in this account please help us we ask in the name of Jesus amen Cornelius Cornelius is said to be a centurion centurion greek word 100 kind of like what century And centurions were in charge of, guess how many soldiers? A hundred. And he's part of an Italian cohort. I I read normally it's 600 as a cohort, but it can be bigger than that at at other times. But somewhere, several hundred troops. And centurions were well paid, five times the pay of a normal soldier. So he's not poor He has influence and power. He has a hundred troops under his command. Verse 2, we are told that he's a devout man. He fears God and prays continually and gives generously. Not a believer yet, but not far from the kingdom it appears. And we are told that about the ninth hour of the day, that is 3 p.m., he saw clearly in a vision. He saw a vision of an angel. This is interesting. Verse 4, God has heard your prayers and seen your gifts to the poor. He has remembered you. That stuff went up to him as a memorial. Listen, is that good or bad? Definitely good. If God remembers you. God is pleased. And God sends an angel to him for a very specific message. Cornelius needs to hear the full gospel. He's a God-fearer, but he needs to hear it. God could have just... Couldn't the angel have just told him what he needed to hear? He could have, but he didn't. It was a matter of faith. There's a certain guy. Go send some guy, some servants to go bring him here. And that's what we're told. Verse 5, Send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. So if you remember from chapter um, 9... Peter had gone to Joppa and that's where, because they had called him to Joppa. If you remember that Tabitha was, she had died and they wanted him to come there. And so he went there. And so he's been in Joppa and this Caesarea is about 30 miles north of that. If you follow the coast 30 miles north. So, Cornelius is told there's a guy who's about 30 miles south of here that needs to come here. Go bring him. Go tell him. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. You'll be able to find him. Ask the people where Simon the tanner is and they'll tell you and Peter will be there. Um, So, verse... Seven, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from one of those who attended him. This soldier, likely a God-fearer too, I think. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So he tells the two servants and the soldier, I just saw a vision from an angel, and he told me to... Send y'all to Joppa and find a guy named Peter. Okay, verse 8, or verse 9. The next day, so the ne- it's 30 miles away. They have to travel there. The next day they're getting close. These three who set out from Caesarea. And while they're getting close, Peter goes up to pray. And the houses then, a lot of them have flat roofs. And you can go stand on the house. It's almost like a balcony you can get away from the bustle sometimes he's up there praying and you know i mean this is this is the narrative of exactly what's happening right it does it like he's hungry at the time it's not coincidence he goes up to pray and he's up there and he's thinking man i'm hungry and apparently He asked for food to be prepared. Right? Verse 10. And he became hungry, wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. So he's asked somebody, Can y'all, isn't it lunchtime? Isn't it dinner? I'm hungry. And so they're making it. He has not eaten it yet. And then he falls into a trance. It's not because he was super hungry. Sometimes you might think you're in a trance when you're super hungry. But not that. God was speaking to him. He saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending. And guess what was on it? A bunch of food. While he's hungry. And God tells him, Peter, verse 13, rise, Peter, kill. Eat it. You're hungry. This is a trance that he's in, right? He sees the vision of a sheep coming down with animals and birds and reptiles, not just clean animals on there, right? Unclean animals. Is it lawful to kill animals and eat them? This is just a side side note. If people want to be vegetarians, God bless you. Eat whatever you want. But killing an animal is not murder. Obviously, I'm preaching to the choir. It's not morally wrong to kill an animal and eat it. If you don't want to, don't. As Edward said once, if God doesn't want us to eat the animals, why do they taste like meat? (laughs) It's actually it's relevant because God is not so concerned about what they're going to eat with this sheep, right? That's not the point. But it does say though, it's referenced later, thus declaring all foods clean. You want to eat it? Eat it. People in Texas might not eat the same things they eat in Louisiana. But they want to eat it. Go ahead. Verse 16, this happened three times that he saw this sheet come down. And Peter is very confused. Why would I eat that? I would never eat that. It's not clean. It's not lawful. Why would I eat that? And God tells him, I'm calling it clean. And it happens three times just to make sure he understands. Verse 17, Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had might mean. Of course, he should be confused. These dietary laws and restrictions, it's part of the way that God separated his people from the other nations, isn't it? They're not like everybody else. They don't just eat anything. There are foods that are forbidden, and we can tell whether they're devout or not if they they follow that law and refrain from eating the unclean animals. And Peter's trying to understand what does this, what's this mean? While he's being perplexed inwardly, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So the three men came. They asked around, where's Simon the tanner? They find the right place. And what Peter is going to discover here is that the point of this sheet is that people are no longer separated. All people, whosoever, that have faith in Jesus, they're saved. Don't call them unclean if God calls them clean. Verse um, 18, they called out whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, So Peter doesn't actually know they're calling out for him yet. He's still perplexed. He's pondering the vision, and the Spirit says, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. I have sent them. So without this second message from God, Peter may have hesitated to go with these guys, right? They're, these are part, one of them is part of the Italian cohort. What, he didn't know what the reason is. Why should I go with y'all? What's going to happen to me? But the, the Spirit tells him that it's okay. I've sent them. Rise, go down. Accompany them without hesitation. 21, Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they tell him the same thing that Cornelius had told them, that Cornelius, a centurion, upright, God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by an angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So this is confirmation. Peter has been told by the Spirit, and the messengers tell him that Cornelius was told by an angel. So he invited them in to be his guests. They can't turn around and go back to to Caesarea right then. It's 30 miles away. They spend the night. The next day, verse 23, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Other Christians... Jewish converts it appears to be. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. So this is four days later from when Cornelius originally heard it. Right? The second day they strike off for Joppa. The third day they go back to Caesarea. This is now day four. On the following day they enter Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them And had called together his relatives and close friends. He believed that Peter would be coming soon. God told him to send for him. He's making plans and they're waiting. Peter's going to be here any time now. He has his friends and family. Verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. So, you know, Peter, uh, uh, Cornelius is a God-fearing man, but he doesn't quite understand everything, right? Why is he bowing down to Peter? No doubt, Peter's reputation precedes him, right? Did news of Tabitha's resurrection from the dead reach him? Possibly, probably, probably. He, he obviously wants to honor Peter, but bowing down and worshiping him is too much. 26, Peter lifts him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. Don't do that. 27, as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathering. So this is a large group of people. Gentiles. Seems to be all of them his friends, close relatives. 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So Peter's saying, normally I wouldn't come into this house. It wouldn't be right for me to come in. And I don't think this is by God's law. This is by additional traditions that the Jews had just separated themselves completely. Not, not to be holy, to, set, to look holy, to appear holy. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. It wasn't forbidden by the law. If it was, then Jesus broke the law, which we know he did not. So Peter's saying, normally I would never eat with you. But God showed me, well not eat, but I wouldn't come into your house and associate with you. God showed me I shouldn't call you common or unclean if he's doing something. If he makes you clean, then you're clean. So when I was sent for, I came. Now, why do you want me here? Because actually Cornelius didn't know exactly what Peter was going to come there and say either. Right? Right? Cornelius says, Four days ago at this hour I was praying in my house. At the ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. And Cornelius explains the vision and the angelic vision and how it was that he knew where Peter was going to be in the first place. Verse 33, I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all you've been commanded by the Lord. So, this has all been set up so that Peter can come there and preach the gospel to this crowd that's gathered. In Verse 34, he tells them the good news. Truly, I understand God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. That is the gospel. It's open to all kinds of people. Right. It's not going to be given to all people without exception, but it's open to all kinds of people. Jews and Gentiles and men and women and poor and rich, slave and free. Nothing about that would hinder them from being saved. What would hinder them is unbelief. Verse 36, As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, Right if we if we translate that Christ to king preaching good news of peace through king Jesus he is lord of all right parentheses he is lord of all he is the king you yourselves know what happened he talks about the baptism of or the that John the Baptist preached preparing the way for Jesus he talks about, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He talks about all the things Jesus did healing people who were sick, casting out devils. God was with him. 39, we are witnesses of it, what he did all around in the countryside and in Jerusalem. They put him to death, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with them after he rose from the dead. So Peter's talking about all this. He did good. The people murdered him. They crucified him. But he rose from the dead. We ate with him. He's alive. He's not dead anymore. This is part of his gospel message. Jesus was crucified, but He rose from the dead and appeared to us. Verse 42, And He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that He is the one appointed by God to be judge of living and the dead. Verse 43, To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Who? Who can be saved? The prophets all bear witness. Everyone. Who? Everyone. Every single one who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Not certain special ones. Everyone who believes in Him. None are lost. Right in, in confirmation of Jesus' words. All who come to me I will nowise cast out. I will hold them in my hand. And my Father will hold them. And none can snatch them away. Anyone. He shows no partiality. Verse 44. Everyone who heard the word. Now well, this is interesting. If you read this like a good Calvinist, you say, all the ones who heard the word, not merely with their ears, but with understanding. I'm not sure that's what the text is getting at, but they definitely did hear the word with understanding. Everyone who heard the word in that house was saved. If you read through the Acts of the Apostles, there is a certain order of the, the way things go, right? People hear the Word, they believe, they repent, and they're baptized. And if you start to rearrange the order of that, it's not right. It's not right. Everyone who heard the Word was saved. Verse 45, and the believe, uh, excuse me, 44, "The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. We know they were saved because they received the Spirit. God doesn't send forth His spirit willy-nilly. He sends it out to accomplish a specific purpose, and the, the purpose here is to quicken them to cause them to be born again. The Spirit fell on all who heard, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. We are seeing the gospel spread out, right? First to the Jews, then the Samaritans. Now it's going to the Gentiles, how do we know they received the Spirit? Verse 46, They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Having believed, having heard the Word, having received the Spirit, having spoke in tongues which they previously did not know how to speak, and extolling God It's obvious God is saving them just like us. Verse 47, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Because if they received the Spirit, then they're brothers and sisters, and they ought to be baptized. And if we were to withhold it, on what grounds would we withhold it? They believe just like we do. They receive the Spirit just like we did. Peter knows what the next step is. They must be baptized. Make a point in time. Now we're believers. Here's the baptism, here's the confirmation, here's the public testimony. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This account, I think, is very important, obviously, to the ministry of the church. And it's repeated several times, you'll see as we go through Acts, in a way that might seem like it's too repetitive why are we going over the details of this again and again but it happened to make sure that it's very clear god is saving them this whole event happened because of divine appointment divine directives right cornelius send some people to go get peter peter some people are coming to get you go with them The whole thing doesn't even happen except because God is orchestrating events so that it will happen. He's saving all who believe. Samaritans, Ethiopians, Italians. If you receive the Spirit, you're full members of the church. You have received God's mark. You know, the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant is circumcision. God will look down from heaven and he will see the sign on the bodies of those and remember his covenant. This is sometimes we we lose sight of why the Jews were hung up on this idea of circumcision, physical circumcision. It was the sign of the covenant. How can how can you be God's without ha- bearing His mark? But what they don't understand is they do bear the mark. Spiritual circumcision has replaced physical circumcision. Sometimes people will argue that baptism is the sign of the covenant. No, it is not. It has baptism has not replaced circumcision. This is the argument for infant baptism. The old covenant is inclusive of infants. Therefore, the new covenant, baptism being the new sign of the covenant, should be inclusive of infants also. It's logical, it's just wrong. Spiritual circumcision has replaced physical circumcision. All members of the church bear this mark of circumcision. Women as well. As men. I mean, if you think about that, people argue that the church oppresses women. That is a false lie. Church does not op- oppress women, we're equal members. Men and women bear the mark of God now. Spiritual circumcision, a seal. A deposit guaranteeing what's going to come. All the members of God's family are spiritually circumcised. Baptism is an ordinance, it is not the sign of the new covenant. Well, listen. Verse 43, To Him all the prophets bear witness. Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. What name? The name of God. You know, when you read and it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's not three names. God is one. It's one name. If you, read, if you look that up, it's singular. In the name of Jesus, if you baptize in the name of Jesus, if you baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it's the name of God is who you're baptizing them in. To Him, all the prophets bear witness. Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. The mighty name, the name that is above all names. And it's wide open. Not just for your grandparents or your parents, it's open for you. Everyone who believes. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel, and we're especially thankful that it is inclusive of Gentiles, as we are all Gentiles. You have been merciful to us and made us your people when we weren't your people. Even you have assembled us into a holy nation, royal priests. O oh, Lord. Bless us and help us to do um, and to live in ways that honor you. Help us to be like Cornelius and that our generous giving and our continual prayers would be remembered before you. Bless us as we have fellowship, Lord. Bless us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this afternoon. We thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.